0: Who says tech can't be human? Definitely listen to your critics because it might help form the idea and outcome in a new way.
1: Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast.
2: RSA 2022 is back in person at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, and no one is more excited than Uptix. If you're a modern defender securing a growing and complex multi-cloud environment, Uptix provides the visibility that you need to match your company's growth and innovation step for step. Check them out at booth number 435. and enter your chance to win a 6,000-piece Star Wars AT-AT Lego or visit them at Uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode.
1: What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. E- yes, sir. Welcome back to the show.
2: Glad to be back again. And this episode and every episode, really, we are in the metaverse. We are in this digital world that we live in today that's all connected. But there's also something called the outerverse. And that's what we're going to be learning about today. And to talk about that subject, we brought in a guest. Our guest is Robin Thurston. Robin is the chairman and CEO of Outside Inc. Robin, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Absolutely. When we found out about your project and we found out about your background, there are so many parallels that we need to discuss from a technology aspect and even a society aspect. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today
0: yeah so I'll sort of start with my background. I've been in and around sports my whole life i mean i was I was very very fortunate to grow up in Denver, Colorado, and at a very early age even the there used to be programs in the public schools where they would bus you to the ski resorts every Friday during the winter and you know those programs were subsidized for public school students and you know that just gave me a lot of exposure not only growing up in a place like Denver seeing the mountains every day but then to actually get and really experience nature early that got me into cycling again i was fortunate that the like the olympic training center was down the road in colorado springs bike racing was a fairly big thing in the in the 80s in in colorado so i had that sort of early exposure to sports which you know to me has really been the basis of my my whole life and and really uh, you know spending a lot of time outdoors which I think is so beneficial for people in so many ways. I went to Europe, raced in Europe in the early 1990s as a cyclist, and then retired in 94, came back to the States and got into technology and sort of media by way of finance. I was fortunate to be part of a small sort of startup in the in the finance space called Lipper that we were acquired by Reuters in 1998, and then was really embedded in the Reuters sort of culture and learned a lot about big data and thinking about like building product. Like we built a very early in the late 90s, we built a direct to consumer subscription using credit cards, which was sort of unheard of at that time. Then I went to American Century in Kansas City and built some product around the web for them. And Reuters recruited me back to run global research for them. And and I was worked on Reuters.com at the launch and, and learned about the ad business. And you know, more about subscription and data businesses over the five years I was there. And then in 2005, when I was in Boston, working for Wellington Management and Finance, I went on a cycling trip to Europe, which I was doing every couple of years after, you know, I had retired from cycling just for fun. And I was just sitting at dinner one night and somebody was like, "Oh, it'd be really cool if like I could come back to Switzerland and like ride the roads that you know from living here. And that kicked off this huge idea for map my fitness and building map my run and map my ride. And it was very much a link sharing thing. So like I would draw a route, I would send it to you to share it with you. And that just exploded even before mobile, like we had over a million users sharing routes with each other, you know, on the web before mobile launched. And then in 2008, when the app store launched, we got really lucky. And I would say it was luck. We built two of the first hundred iPhone apps with map my run and map my ride
2: Mm. and
0: timing, even though the markets were melting down in 2008 in the fall, the app store really started to take off by late, like late in that year. And we got featured in some Apple promotion with AT&T and that just really like it exploded. And the use case was so perfect. It was like, you know, anybody with a mobile phone could go out and get a map and listen to their music and have safety from a, you know, a phone call away perspective. And that was just a real game changer. And so MapMai sort of, you know, took off into the right, you know, we had huge growth. When Kevin Plank called me in 2013 from Under Armour, at that point, we were doing about 20 million revenue, 20 million users. And, you know, it was largely an ad and subscription business. But like Kevin sort of knew that he needed a big digital presence and MapMy was really a, a very good fit for that and more leadership in digital and so we got acquired by Under Armour in late 2013 I was chief digital officer for 3 years running all of their e-commerce and you know we doubled the e-commerce business in 3 years by doing these things called microtransactions so like you would run 100 miles on My run I would send you a 40% off gift code at underarmor.com. And that translated into a lot of new business for Under Armour. Mm. And so that really worked. And so this sort of convergence of commerce, mobile, community, and utility in, in the map my, and then eventually we bought MyFitnessPal and Mondo and a number of other applications to kind of fit into that world. We launched some hardware So I I sort of learned the hardware business while I was at Under Armour, you know, launching a connected shoe and health box and some other things that we did. But the reason it's so relevant to outside is I went to Kevin at the end and I said, look, I think we can build a billion dollar subscription business if we get into content with the assets that we already had. And the reality was like at that time in 2016, the Under Armour core business was having a bit of challenges. You know, we'd already invested a lot in connected fitness. And so uh, basically, Kevin was like, Robin, we just can't invest anymore right now. And so I left, I had a non compete, I went to, I, I joke a little bit, I went to run a consumer genetics business, even though I think the best grade I ever gotten biology was a C. <laughs> <laughs> but I got it, you know, I went, I, it was an amazing team of people backed by private equity and Illumina and some other people. And you know, I got like a tremendous experience building a consumer platform in the consumer genetics space. But I was itching to get back into the category. I really wanted to get back into, you know, sort of health, fitness, outdoor. And I kind of came up like, it, again, I wouldn't say it's like really a new idea. There's many other people in other verticals doing it. But I was like, look, I think that I can consolidate a lot of the media, the utilities, the commerce, the experiential side of the business. And so we just started buying up assets, you know, before we even bought outside the brand. So we were we were pocket outdoor media. We had at that point we had purchased you know five or six companies, and you know at, at we were about two hundred people and the business was growing nicely. We owned things like Ski Magazine and Warren Miller and Velo News and and Yoga Journal and other things, and so everything was kind of spinning along and living here. I, I got to move back to Boulder from Palo Alto. And then we had this opportunity where Larry Burke, who I had met the year before in 2019 over Thanksgiving, because my mom lives in Santa Fe, he reached out to me and said, look, we're going to we're gonna sell outside television and outside magazine. And would you be interested? And I just knew that outside was the best brand in the category. And so like we just jumped on it. There was a number of other assets like Gaia GPS and Athlete Reg and a number of other things that we bought at that time. But it was just a really big catalyst for our business. You know, I mean, again, 200 plus people is big, but now we're like almost 600 people, and we have offices in Australia and Germany and Canada, and you know, so we're we're very spread out. But that was sort of the catalyst to sort of what is now outside, which is an again, it's we've purchased 18 companies to get to this point of like what is the new outside, and as we build product around the consumer, that's really where we're headed. About you know, building better and better experiences, ultimately, with this goal of getting everyone outside.
1: One of the things that stood out to me immediately is I saw a lot of parallels between what you're doing with your company and what we're doing with our media company. We're really focused on making cybersecurity really cool and hip. And it seems like you're doing the same thing for fitness and going outside. We just had a conversation a couple of days ago when we recorded our video show Technically Divided. And at the very end, this episode happened to be about Web3. I said, this is all great. Love the technology. Love everything about it. The thing that concerns me as a parent is that my daughters are addicted to their tablets. They're addicted to the metaverse. They, they just want to play games and watch videos. They don't want to go outside. It's a chore for them. And so I was saying, like, we need to come up with a way in order for them to still appreciate outside while we have all this technology. Tell us the origin story for the Outerverse. What was the inspiration behind it? And what were some of the challenges along the way?
0: Well, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think what's terrifying to me is like, if you go to the CDC website, it will show that the average kid under 18 is spending somewhere between nine and 11 hours a day on a screen. And I think When you think about the motivations of the major tech companies, all of their incentives are built into more time on screen, whether it's, you know, Facebook or Instagram, it's like, well, how long are you engaging with this, you know, thing? And that's why like video with TikTok and Instagram and all these things have really taken off because, you know, YouTube, they want you to spend more and more time because their entire incentive model is set up around that. And so my fear is is similar to yours that I feel like when I grew up I was lucky enough to at some level be bored. Like I think that's the other thing. I don't think kids are bored enough. And I think it's because there's always some distraction, i.e. a screen to go to. And those screens are very addicting. I mean, you know, we have to remember that the tech companies, because of these incentives, are incentivized to create ways to get you to stay on them longer from my perspective, you know, get into the outerverse but like as humans, we have to figure out how we're going to have balance in the use of technology because I'm a I'm a realist too. Like I I was part of the creation of what I'd called the digital fitness movement in 2005, 2006, you know, 2008 with the iPhone. So I'm a realist in that culture, technology and the outdoors is all sort of intersecting and that our kids are, and I mean, I have three small children, they are going to need tools and motivations that actually incentivize them to want to go outside. Like, you know, I had someone on social media blowing me up the other day. They're like, well, why don't you just tell people to go outside? What do you need the outerverse for? And I'm like, look, <laughs> the reality is, is that that's like saying, hey, just stop smoking. right? Right? Like it's not that easy when you, when these screens are addicted, they're like literally the functionality they have them and is addicting us to want to go to them. The cortisol and serotonin rush we get from you sending me a a text message is real. It's a real thing that makes our bodies want to react by watching that screen. We're going to need tools to basically create balance. And, and from my perspective, it's balance and getting people outdoors, And so when we really started to look at the incentive layers that are built into Web3 technology, i.e. tokenization, potentially unlocking very rare uh, NFTs or things that you can only get access to if you have spent time outdoors or doing a certain activity, I felt like was really unique versus Web2. In other words, like You know, you look at Reddit and you can buy coins and give them back in the community. So like there are ways to do it in Web 2, but there isn't anything, in my opinion, coming from like finance. I mean, I spent 14 years of my career in finance. There isn't anything like Web 3 that actually has market dynamics built into it. Like you can have speculators through the tokens as well as giving those tokens as incentives to people to do the behavior that you want them to do and my view of the outerverse is that it is our anti metaverse to creating balance specifically for the next generation like i know there're like you know there are people that are outdoors people today that are like this is dumb i don't need this and the answer is they probably don't because they already go outdoors they already spend the time outdoors but the reality is when i think about the next generation and I watch even my own children, how they interact with screen time. Like we want to build this in a way that like, if you spend an hour outdoors or, you know, you spend an hour doing a specific activity, like riding your bike or running or hiking, it unlocks the ability even to use the screen, like even to use or watch the show on YouTube or that type of thing. And and, and frankly, collectively, We believe this is good for society overall, not just some outside initiative. And so we're hoping that the tech companies realize this too, even though it's counter to their incentives models, which is getting you to spend more time on that screen.
2: Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me or an IT, or security pro, complexity is inevitable, and I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com/simone. That's a x o n i u s dot com slash s i m o n e. This is really fascinating, and it's fascinating because with Web three, you know, we look at these incentives like cryptocurrency and making money by just interacting with the digital world. And you're talking about unlocking your screen back and giving you that access back to just use it. Is there any web three connection to the outerverse? And what other incentives would there be besides just maybe reducing your dependency on your screens?
0: So the model around web three and the outerverse is like, and I can give a really specific example. So like we own a brand and a movie that comes out every year that's called Warren Miller films and Warren Miller, they like, it's been around for 80 years. It's a ski film and it's sort of like everybody goes and sees it as like the start of winter. So like historically that production and those theater tours, like we don't even know who goes and sees the film because if you, you know, if you think about the old world of going to a theater you buy a ticket. I don't know who you are, even if I'm the producer of that film, because you just bought a paper ticket and you walked into the movie and you didn't have any connection with me who made the film. And so this fall, as an example, using NFTs and you know all blockchain infrastructure with the Outerverse, we're going to issue all the Warren Miller tickets as NFTs. So if you want to go see Warren Miller, you're going to have to buy the Warren Miller NFT ticket. Then, if you bought one of those tickets, there will be all kinds of partners and things that we give to that community of people that bought the tickets. So it could be like a one-week ski vacation to Vail that you're in a raffle for, or you're, you know, or we're giving you access to the editors of Ski Magazine as that group, or maybe that group gets to help sort of guide the film the next year. So you know, using the community around who bought those NFTs as a way to engage in that film and that community in a completely new way that they never really had before. But then the way it's connected to the outerverse specifically is that then we're gonna keep track of those, every year we sell roughly, you know, I'm gonna call it 100 to 200,000 tickets to Warren Miller. We're gonna keep track of those people that bought tickets and we're gonna let them link in their data, their Garmin data, their Epic Pass data, whatever they wanna integrate. And we're going to see how many days they go skiing. And then if you go skiing, like the first day you might get a proof of ski badge that everybody in the community gets. But if you go skiing five times or 10 times or 15 times or 20 times, then you might unlock super rare NFTs that you only get and or get tokens for going to do that activity. And so the linkage back into Web3 and these incentive layers will be specifically tied to what action, what activity, what thing you're doing outdoors, and then unlocking rare things by doing that.
1: I love technologists for exactly this reason. One of the words that just keeps coming up as you're speaking is disruption. But it's just not your your usual disruption where you're disrupting one thing. It seems like you're disrupting two things because I see two camps. I see the camp that's really focused on health and fitness being outside, but they tend to like push away the technology. And then the technologists are like, I don't want to do this outside stuff. I don't want to do fitness. I just want to do technology. But you're disrupting both with each other, which I think is really fascinating. So what does disruption really mean to you? Like, th- Does it give you energy to shake things up?
0: Yeah. I mean, I grew up in entrepreneurial family. Like my my dad was a Chinese antique importer and, you know, built furniture and, you know, always was like, I, I remember being in a shop as a kid, you know, and like interacting with customers coming in and things like that. And I just fundamentally believe that entrepreneurship is about disruption. It's about thinking about problems in a way that maybe somebody hasn't thought about it and then taking the risk to see whether or not it actually works. And I think whether it was like having two of the first hundred iPhone apps or thinking about what map my was of time, I mean it was seriously disruptive. Or I think about what Helix was doing in the genetic space, or I think about what Outside is doing now. And like I don't think there's any other way. I think that's what entrepreneurs need to do is they need to push the envelope on disruption and thinking about things in a different way and ultimately seeing whether or not that works.
2: I would love to hear some of your stories, lessons learned by being an entrepreneur. It sounds like this is definitely not your first rodeo. You've done this time after time again from being acquired by Under Armour and then now to acquiring so many brands and putting your own flavor on top. What have been some of the notable lessons that you've learned while building out outside?
0: Well, I like to tell entrepreneurs that, like, I'm on this podcast today, it sounds like everything is amazing, like all things are going my way. I mean, like, the reality to me is like, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. You know, when I think about the experience that I've had, it's like, you have to just kind of realize that you're going to have a lot of bumps in the road, and you just have to like, literally hit them even if it rips the bottom of the car off, and like figure out how to fix it and get the car moving again, like you just have to keep pushing as much as you can. Like, so I I, I constantly talk about like, you want to take enough, like, I see also entrepreneurs just being way too conservative, like, I, I think you should take more risk, I think you should push the envelope more. And, you know, so I think there's that like real balance, but I definitely believe that Having a lot of small failures ultimately add up to having a big success. You know, you can hear people say, like, break things and move fast and things like that. But I just, at the core, for me, at least it's been, do I really, really believe in the project and the outcome and the potential impact to the customer and then build a great team, like, get the absolute best people you can in place to help you execute that vision that you have and, and make sure they're aligned with the risk that you're taking too, like that your team understands how much risk you're taking. That doesn't always line up. Like, you know, there's a lot of, I would say debate about, you know, like should, you know, with it, you could be within your management team. It could be within your company about like, should we take this risk? Should we go into this technology this right now? Is this the right thing to do? And I think entrepreneurs ultimately just have to push through all of that noise. If they truly believe it's going to be building a vision that they had in mind. And then you have to be at some level flexible.
1: What I absolutely love about everything that Outside is doing right now is that it's multifaceted. You know, I was looking at the website. You have Outside Plus, a lot of video content, which is incredible. You're doing the stuff with NFTs and Web3. You're getting people to go outside and do events. You're bringing on content creators. Obviously, that that speaks to us a lot. What is the vision for outside? What is the vision for everything that you're building? Because it it seems like you're building an ecosystem that isn't just a business. It's a culture. It's a a community that people really adhere to. The people that love the content, that love all the things that you're doing with technology and and outside. What is the, the ultimate vision for everything that you're doing today?
0: I mean, look, ultimately, the measurement of success will be, did we get more people outside more often? Fundamentally, like that is the measure of success to me, but it is about creating a better consumer experience. It's about pulling all these pieces together that allow you to have a better experience with our platform, whether it's the utilities, like the mapping utilities, it's getting you to events, it's it's the content that's inspiring you, all of that stuff matters. And so we want to put it together in a way that creates a better, you know, sort of motivation for people to sort of get everything they need in one place them to want to go out and spend more time outdoors.
1: Spending time outdoors is beyond important. Robin, there's someone that's listening to this podcast right now and they're brilliant. They're really, really intelligent and they're looking at the technology that's available to them, but they don't want to do what everyone else is doing. They want to go against the grain. They want to buck the status quo. What piece of advice would you have for that person that's listening right now?
0: I would say, Listen to your critics, but don't follow what they want you to do. I mean, I think in this current environment we live in, it's so easily to get distracted by social media. And as humans, we all sort of ingest and digest criticism in different ways. Some people it motivates, some people get frozen. And so like I always say to people, like, if you have a vision, a, you know, a dream, something that you really feel like is going to have a big impact on your time here on earth. And by the way, there is no planet B, like there's no, like we better take care of this place because we ain't getting off this rock, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And so like, when I think about that from like the things people are doing and the ideas and concepts and businesses they're building, definitely listen to your critics because it might help form the idea and outcome in a new way. Don't listen to it to the point where you get frozen or that you stop believing in what your idea is. Like you have to just keep moving through all of that. And I just think way too many people get caught up about like listening to their the ecosystem of like negative feedback, positive feedback, change this, do that. And ultimately to me, You kind of have to be true to what your own vision was and what you want to build while, again, failing and then learning and failing and learning ultimately to get to that outcome that you're looking for.
1: Outstanding advice. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. For those out there that want to stay up to date with you outside and all the great things you're building in the outerverse, what are the best ways for people to do that?
0: For the Outerverse, we launched Outside.io. I really encourage you to go sign up there. We have our first passport drop in June. Um, We have a Discord channel for that. Obviously, you can follow Outside Inc. as well as Outside Online and all of our properties. But essentially, those are the best places to get us.
2: Excellent. We'll be sure to drop those in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you, Outside, and all that's going on in the Outerverse. Thanks again, Robin. And with that, we'll see everyone next time.
1: If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.